0: All right, well, here we are. We are here. First first of its kind, round table episode with
1: radical changes.
0: Radical, <laughs> radical '80s '80s Why style. 80s? <laughs> and, uh, three, three, of our favorite people are gonna are gonna join us. Super. Too smart for me. Too smart for me, man. <laughs> so we've got Farah, the GC and VP uh, uh, at the NAI Network Advertising Initiative. Julia Schulman, who we hero worship on this uh, part. Sure. Often. <laughs> CPO at triple lift and Noga Rose, the Godmother. GC and CPO of Ampersand. The Godmother. Uh, she's not. I mean, she's she's our age though. Let's. let's...
1: No, it's not about age. It's about it's it's not about age. It's about her position in the game, man. Like she yeah. she knows what time, Like who doesn't check in with her in ad tech Oh, idiots. Like I mean, you know, like she's everybody checks in with her on everything.
0: Like it's yeah, interesting. It's interesting. The first, the first NAI summit I w- ever went to was like 2016 or, or so, 20, maybe 14. And she was the GC at the NAI. And, and that was, was
1: 2014, 14, right?
0: 14. And she gave the intro. And um, of course, I like LinkedIn, look her up. Who is this? Who is this person? Yeah, yeah. And I'm Absolutely. like, geez, this, this woman is my age. She's the GC of this thing. God. Humble she, pie. She's speaking so, um, so like with debt, with like, not just like with depth about the meaning of the NAI and what they're trying to accomplish. And it w- I hadn't seen really GCs talk that way, really, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. yeah, no, she's an innovator, man. I mean, look, <laughs> this
1: is going to be our best podcast because we don't have much to do, <laughs> Like you know? Like these, th- these three are going to just tell us what, time it is and i love that i mean yeah i'm glad we're doing this what a great group of folks for our first round table ish and uh let's let's rock it man i'm into it all right here it is
0: Uh, all right here we are we're here we're here uh we got a special round table episode here we are joined by Farah Zaman, the VP and General Counsel at the Network Advertising Initiative, Julia Schulman, the GC and Chief Privacy Officer at TripleLift, and Noga Rosenthal, the GC and Chief Privacy Officer at Ampersand, and uh, of course, the illustrious Pedro from Facebook. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is awesome. It's great to see you all. It's great to be, quote, together. Um, it's been so long. Um, this ad tech roundtable, I think we're, we're just aiming to, you know, share thoughts and share dialogue and and uh, maybe a good place to start in my mind was I just read an article about this thing called the Unified ID2 that uh, the Trade Desk, I guess, the initiative they put forward and having some challenges in Europe, getting adoption to this UID2. And I guess that, that led me in my mind to wonder, like, will will we ever will there ever be something that satisfies the european appetite for for cookies or de, or advertising in general at all anybody want a take i have a take no <laughs> flat no
1: yeah i just don't think so julia what do you think <laughs>
2: Uh, Two things. I think one, Andy, it's a good question, but I'd, I'd say it actually is highly dependent on the fact that publisher and advertiser strategies are very different in Europe versus the strategies that we see from the bigger players in the US. And then the second piece is I honestly think these identify, these ID solutions are going to be fragmented for a number of years to come, and honestly, they're not—they're not, they're not going to be the ultimate solution. I think we're going to—we're going to hang our hat on them, and we're going to try to see if they work. But realistically, the fundamental infrastructure of the internet and how data is actually accessed and used is actually changing beneath us right now. And while the industry is trying to maintain status quo and put these ID solutions in place to allow us to operate as is right now, the infrastructure is actually being rebuilt and changed. So we'll see that fragmentation for, I would hypothesize a few years, it's not gonna work that well. More, more players will kind of get knocked out of the space in the short term and in the longer term, things are really gonna look a lot different.
1: Can I ask a question about harm in that context? Because I feel like rules are meant to protect people right? Like mostly like laws, this is what they're all for, right? Uh, To protect people, property, our interests generally. What, I mean, I know this is like a super high level question, but like what are we protecting against by creating all of these obstacles for personalized ads experiences? Like I understand the extractive, you know, nature of like do more with less and trying to minimize the amount of data that is required to accomplish things. I get that. But what, what is the, like, what are we protecting against when we say to an entire industry, your business model is bad because it creates personalized experiences? Like what, what, what does that message send? And like, what, I, I, this is where I fundamentally run up against the wall, which is like, what is the like, cognizable harm that we are actively pursuing to stop?
3: Pedro, you know, it's funny. Historically, we actually as ad tech, maybe like 10 years ago, looked back and said, why did we even offer an opt out for, for personalized advertising? Why did we do that? Because what is the harm? We're not using your identifiable information. We're not using your, in general, right? We're not using your name and address. So why why did we do that? And there was actually a feeling that maybe that was a mistake. Because then the implication is there's there is a harm to personalized advertising. Whereas the reality is is you know you could question is there really? I will say though, Pedro, I I did change my mind after Cambridge Analytica where. I did feel that that was an instance where data that was collected under this umbrella of advertising and research all of a sudden was used for what it shouldn't have been used for.
1: I think that's right. This is this was no good speaking, but like I think that's right. But like if we look at Cambridge Analytica and like the debate about manipulation and like the influence of people to behave in ways they don't expect. It's not the nature of the programmatic advertising industry that makes that manipulation happen. It makes it possible. I understand that. But it's not what effectuates the manipulation. It's bad actors who use the power of something for a bad purpose. Why not make rules against that? Why not say, if we catch you using the programmatic ad stack or data to harm people, you're going to be in fucking trouble. Why not approach the rules that way versus let's dismantle the entire ability to like create all of this wealth and success. and Forget the money part of it. Better experiences for people overwhelmingly because there are these harms. Why not target the harms? I think to
4: some degree, that's what the NAI code has trying to do. Right. You can't use the data for insurance eligibility. Like I think there are efforts to put those types of controls I just think there's a level of adoption and then there's also, you know, the number of bad actors get way more press and way more attention than the volume of, you know, just ordinary course of business. And I think there's something interesting about all the debate about not personalized ads where every single product in every every single industry is moving to personalization. So it's this weird like everyone wants every product they have to be personalized. But there's something about ads specifically that kind of sets off this trigger. Yeah,
2: and to and to pile onto what Farah said, which is really important, and it's interesting to hear Noga's point of view since she's been at this the longest of any of us on this call. Is sure, you know, we're trying to catch those bad actors and prevent them from from being bad actors. But frankly, it's really hard to do through policies and non-technical controls. And the industry has kind of let that get away from them. And we're kind of catching up and trying to figure out are there ways to technically prevent these bad actors from acting really, really hard to do when there's billions, 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 billions of ad impressions being sold and filled on a daily basis. I think that's the biggest issue we face today.
0: It's interesting, Julia. It sort of brings me back to Pedro's question. Like if you are gonna legislate around those things and you are gonna kind of, you know, legislate at the incumbents and at the large players that have the most resources, why not direct them that way? Like this is what you need to prevent, right? So the, the, the punishment or the or the regulatory authority, if it's focused on a platform like Google or, or, or somebody that's really involved deeply in the ecosystem, try to point them in a certain, point them in a certain direction with the law instead of like, you know, kind of just like, absorbing firepower from sort of this continual gut vibe feel that the personalization, you know, isn't comfortable for people.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd say there's two things going on right now. Number one, of course, and no one blames them, the regulators don't fully appreciate just how this works technically and then the various commercial and strategic interests at play. And those, number two, those commercial and strategic interests at play are not necessarily incentivized to work with the regulators and work with the industry to fix things in the way that you're advocating.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, I know none of us are here to speak on behalf of our companies, me included, and we never do. But like, yesterday was my one year anniversary at Meta, right? Facebook, whatever. Um, And I've all all of us are friends. And I, you know, we all think about the ads ecosystem a lot we think about ad tech a lot we think about personalization a lot but i've spent the last year really thinking about personalization and whether or not it's inherently bad and i've come to a, a definitive like moral conclusion personally that it's not not only is it not bad it's overwhelmingly good and the communities of which i'm a part that are the most affected negatively by like normative groups in my observation and in some of the empirical data that I've been able to review and the studies that I've seen are disproportionately positively benefited by personalization, right? Think about the like small, small business run by a Latina single mother in Texas who doesn't have an ad budget the size of Target but can still amplify her little business with a couple of dollars through personalization and targeting the people most likely interested in buying her shit. Like how is that a bad outcome? That is an incredible outcome. It's
2: not a bad outcome. Yeah, it's it's about misuse of data. And and it's it's about the bad actors. And we have not figured out how to properly flush them out.
1: And I think the reason we can't flush out not just bad actors, but negligent (laughs) actors, because there's a lot of negligence out there, too, and carelessness, is because the rules are not being designed to target them. It's not, Or those actions, the rules are being designed to dismantle the apparatus that empowers this the vignette that I just gave about a Latina business owner. And that is what I'm very worried about, that there's this notion out there that personalization is bad. And anytime we see it, we should challenge it and we should dismantle all of the technology built to create it. And we will repeat history, which will be the people who got wealthy from the process. Are the powerful normative european slash american people and the people benefiting on the back end from all of this technology will get left behind that's what i'm worried about because my people latino latino single moms didn't get rich from the tech boom or the ad tech boom that's not what happened but now they're building businesses around it and if we dismantle everything we've created to make that possible get left behind again that really works
0: there's tons of tools out there on platforms like shopify and others that amplify e-commerce platforms email email tools marketing tools like things that are absorbing first-party data and 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 helping them get the message out yet for some reason e-commerce doesn't face the same level of scrutiny that like personalized ads do and and I'm, i'm i'm legit just don't get it?
4: I think part of it is just historically there wasn't good education and transparency about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I think also it's just an area where there are very few people who actually understand it. Like I came in from a measurement company to a brand to a publisher and now at the NAI and like I probably did have bad assumptions about the ad tech industry. And it's just the deeper and deeper I got the more I'm like it's really nuanced and there's a lot of detail and it takes you know, someone who really spends time with tech teams talking with different people to understand it. And most people just want to paint a broad brush. They don't want to spend the time to have to figure all that out and just say, this is good, this is bad. I and think that's a
3: true. true story. We had a website where it was a, um, a single mom in California where she had music. So it's not just the advertising side, the brand side, the website side too. I always tell the story. She had um, Native American music on her site. You're, you're not going to have that on the bigger websites because it's not going to be worth the dollars to them, but it was to her and she she tried to put a paywall up she it didn't work she ended up. Uh, getting all her money from personalized advertising, but going back to your point about harm my my issue with creating rules around harm is again we've discussed this what is harm what's what's harmful to you may not be harmful to me. And I think having a law create like fiduciary duties or try to define harm is just too difficult.
1: But I right. think we and, can think about, I think, I, I think like bad outcome, okay. So like, we're, I think most of us are, we're all lawyers. Like, it, 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 like the entire criminal justice system is built around harm, right? So is the tort system, right? Like if you don't have damages, you don't have a tort, right? Like we know this, like, like you need damages. And so like, I, I think you're right that formulating an idea around damages or harm is difficult but it's not impossible because we got examples of it all over the place. And there's some harms that are easy to measure, right? Like if an advertisement campaign for low interest mortgages results in an audience that excludes every person of color That's a harm. I don't need to go to fucking rocket magic school to know that that's bad. Okay, And so, like, if if you've created a system that perpetuates those outcomes consistently and it wasn't some sort of error or mistake, we got to turn that system off and there should be penalties to do that. So there are some harms that are easy to measure, right? Um, that, like, again, I, like the rules aren't designed to address. What the rules are addressing is, like, how much data are you using? How transparent are you being about it? How much control are you are giving people? And all of that is important, too. However, even in light of all three of those things, the harms can still happen if we're not watching and vigilant against those. Anyway, I know I'm, like, on, like, go ahead, Andy. I know I'm, like, on the shit, but, like, it's just, like, it's what I think about when I reflect on my year at Meta
0: it takes us towards the discussion about a federal us privacy law because there's all this discussion about how one won't be successful unless there is some private right of action for people to and so like that's an interesting point that you just made like even if that were viable and you know we have friends that are talking about different solutions for that if there is a private right of action perhaps there's a safe harbor if you go through a, a sock 2 or a, type certification or there's all sorts of ideas about how to do that but there's still very little clarity on what someone would sue someone for like if they actually if they actually were able to and a data breach is just too it's just too far reaching right and and far made the point really well like like we all work in in tech companies and we're the ones that understand and the public doesn't get this necessarily like everything is so deeply nuanced a, a, a data breach is the most one of the, if not the most nuanced possible thing that can happen to your company, whether it actually happened, how it happened, whose tool was impacted, like whether the data was personal or not, like it's it's deeply difficult and layered and nuanced analysis. So I don't like that as like the anchor for these things. And so I guess my question is, are we still going to be in this constant loop that we've been in since you know, we all started, before we all started, you know, doing this, it's the same. It's the same story all over again with just like different actors.
3: Pedro, to your point, like I think of a car, like you're not gonna outlaw a car even though you could do bad things with a car. I feel like this is the same thing. Like there's there a car, we need it. We need to have advertising, period. And
1: personalization, like curated personalization. experiences. Like these things are great things that change and transform the world in good ways. Yes, they come with dangers. Your point, cars, matches, yes. But to treat ads like guns is not appropriate to me. Like, it's just not, okay? Like, it's just, it's not, period. And I, you know, I was on Instagram last night and I saw an ad for something I liked and it took me 10 seconds to buy it. Was that harm? Like, I don't understand. I was like, I was so pleased. I'm like, I never would have found this thing, but for all of the stuff that happened to show it to me. And I bought it. And so everybody there wins. And if I didn't have the money to buy it and it was manipulating me in some way to like spend money I don't have, I, I get all that. But like, and we have to be careful with those things and educate people um, a, 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 around like fiscal responsibility and all of that stuff. But the actual act of showing me something I'm interested in to see if I'm interested in doing more of it or buying it or joining a club or whatever. Come on. Like, we got to change that narrative. I don't, that's my next question, which is like, it's hard for like the company I work for to go out there and make this case because of the trust deficit and all the things that we understand. Google's in the same situation, Amazon, et cetera. Who is best situated to articulate the benefits in your guys' view? And like, how do you think we could go about like just changing the thinking here? Like, you guys are geniuses. Let's do it, right, let's solve it right now. I'll write it down.
2: I mean, I'm sure this is this is totally obvious, right? But it's three things. It's the people that need to drive this narrative are our clients, they their publishers and advertisers who are using our pipes to actually monetize and run their businesses and provide good to the broader economy and just like civilization as a whole. But on the flip side of that, I would say the other piece of it is our industry has to put some of their differences aside and some of these commercial and strategic clashing interests aside to come up with a solution. And I have to say, after being in this space for a while now, and obviously being part of um, industry working groups and and private working groups to try to do this, I honestly think someone's going to come in from a commercial perspective who understands these issues and actually drive changes to the underlying infrastructure that will allow us to solve these problems, but do so in a way that allows a majority of the ecosystem or at least a broader piece of the ecosystem to continue to operate properly. So again, our our clients need to finally step up and Noga, curious to hear your point of view on this because you've been kicking and screaming about this for years now and we haven't seen it happen. And two is, I don't think honestly, what we've been doing to date has gotten us terribly far. And I think ultimately someone is gonna step in and see the commercial interest in solving these problems for the ecosystem as a whole.
3: I I mean, Julia, this is where I struggle because I do feel like we did make an effort at that, right? We took the smaller website, the smaller businesses to DC. We had them talk to, to staffers explaining their business. I've actually, I don't know if I've ever had an advertiser do that, but we have had websites do that. And I think, Pedro, you could tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think Facebook t- took efforts to educate their audience with ads saying, here's why the service is for free. Like, here's the exchange. I I think we have made an effort. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if that's what's, it, you know, if education is what's more, you know, that's what's needed, yeah, I'm not sure.
2: You know, I wasn't arguing education because honestly, I don't think that that's happened. I think it's it's getting the right folks at the bigger brands, holding companies, you name it. And I'm getting them to understand the strategic implications of not stepping up. And I know that people have been trying to do that for years. And I, and I, I think it's, it's, it's um, it just takes time to get them there. And I feel like there are people sort of finally waking up to this reality, but they've historically seemed to be so nervous about even sticking their necks out they just want someone else to solve their problem and not you know not not have to like get their hands dirty in the process. Tara, what do you what do you think about that? You've obviously been involved across across the ecosystem in these issues.
4: I, I do think there's a lot of just like shoving off liability to a different part of the ecosystem and not wanting to kind of get your hands dirty. And I think part of that then is education. like I I can say in my own personal experience going from a brand to a publisher to now NAI, like it's just a different level of understanding. I didn't get it when I was in that role, I was doing other things. I was doing manufacturing and employee issues. And, you know, it's just not the same dedication where your whole focus is. And so you don't necessarily understand it as well. Um, so I think I think getting brands more engaged and to understand more and to advocate and express more would be a great step forward. Um, and I don't know, maybe we need out, al- we need marketing. Like we just need a good tagline. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what's gonna help.
1: I like where your head is. Sorry, Andy, real quick. I, I like where your head is on that last point, which is there's so much amplification of the harms, rightfully so. We should have real conversations about the problems, the challenges, the like disparate impacts, the manipulation. We need to focus on that and fix the problems that we know exist and not look away from them. But there's a disproportionate or much less proportionate, like sort of discussion about. Why fixing those while preserving the benefits is important. And I think your last point is the right one, which is we need to, we, all of us, the industry, need to do a better job of showcasing the benefits. Like we had these cool discussions about the Native American, the woman with the Native American music website, and then the single mom, you know, and there's millions of these stories everywhere. Like, interestingly, most of the clothes that I buy, except those ones that Andy gives me for free, um, I just buy from these small shops online that just build cool, interesting things that like are niche for me. Now I know that's gonna bother the big brands and and that's gonna be tough on like the old establishment, but how beautiful are these stories that someone out of their garage in New Jersey can sell me a hoodie in Atlanta because of Instagram. That's a beautiful thing. We gotta, and that's a true story by the way. and so like that, I think is an incredible outcome that we just, for some reason as an industry, don't say, look, this is what we're fighting for. We're not fighting just for our jobs and for our industry. We're fighting for these outcomes and they're great. And let me show you 10,000
0: of them. It's an interesting example you just made. If if we, if, I wonder if we, this is just sort of thinking about this in the context of what you just said. I wonder if we were to think about it in, in the context of e-commerce instead of advertising That it might change the the sort of perception you know because like right now if you anchor uh, on the old ways we've always been talking about this it's free content for advertising and it's like going to my website and having access to like fundamental kind of stuff on the internet but it's interesting if you shift it towards sort of e-commerce i don't know that it takes us all the way there because that's sort of probably a bit disconnected for people in their minds to, to take advertising through all the way through to e-commerce and people like us could think about that but i don't know if the the public is ready for that but that's an interesting shift in thinking to me
4: i think that this is getting a little nuanced but some of the old like measurement and frequency capping like those purposes for ad tech that do help that whole you know conversion measurement and demonstration like i think that's extremely lost in the discussion these days and there isn't again the nuance to distinguish those use cases yeah, and the other thing to add there, Farah, and this goes to the e-commerce point
2: you're making, Andy, and that you got us on this train, Pedro, is, um, and I'm not going to bring up antitrust, and we don't need to get into it, but like this goes back around to all the conversations that are happening in this world because if you take that further, I think most people see where where it's where it's going, um, you know, with some of the big e-commerce platforms that can't be divorced from the conversation.
0: Farah, when you were at Colgate, Palmolive, was your sense that like as a big advertiser, like would they engage like that? That's sort of my question. Like if we were to try to get advertisers like into the mix on this, like agencies, maybe agency holding companies, I think you mentioned Julia, like would advertisers get in the mix on this?
4: I hope so. I think that's really important now. Like, I don't think that was true five or 10 years ago. Like, I, it just wasn't. But I'm hoping, I think it's really important. And I'd like to think, you know, I still keep in touch with colleagues from all over. And they're definitely more attuned to it. They're like, hey, remember that thing you talked about five years ago? Like, this is coming up more. This is here or there. So I'm hoping it's getting riper and it's getting there. I think, you know, to yeah. Julia's point, I think that's what we need.
0: You're like, but yeah, I work, yeah. I, work, <laughs> I work there now.
4: But the challenge is,
2: Hanoga, you know, I remember us having conversations about this five years ago, and I wish I had listened to you then, but the challenge we're seeing now is the advertisers are waking up, and this is where these ID solutions are going, right? They're, they're trying to say, we need to figure out a way to, to match up users across the ecosystem so we can continue to spend dollars on your inventory, but publishers... Are, are kind of waking up and also saying, "Wait a second! Like, what's in it for us? We're not just going to give you our audiences for free, and we're not just going to subscribe to an ID solution that maybe is only benefiting one side of the equation." And so those conversations happen in silos, and and as advertising technology, we sit in the middle of that. And we're trying to facilitate it and make sure everyone's discussing these things. And so we've got two big clashes
4: of interests
2: uh, who aren't who aren't discussing it or. of playing off of each other
4: and using us as a foil to play off of each other. And I do think agencies are a huge part of it, like especially the larger shops, a lot of it is delegated through the agencies. And then there's, you know, during GDPR it was a lot of like, you sign this, we'll sign that, you promise this, but like no one really knew what was happening or how to effectuate anything. Right. But
2: NOGA was making this point to me years ago, right? NOGA that publishers for years have been kind of clashing with, with advertisers over not privacy uh, concerns around the use of their data, but the commercial interests over control of their data and the value of it, whether they're actually getting value for their data. I would argue maybe they're not, but they also don't have all of the power in this conversation. They have to kind of play nice with with the advertisers and the technology vendors. Data I mean,
0: Jules is always talking about that too. Like about yeah, the,
2: would-
0: the, the feet of the, lays it at the feet of the publishers in, in a lot of ways.
2: Well, he called doesn't he call it like the original sin of the ad tech ecosystem as <laughs> yeah. the publishers kind of just threw up their hands and right. said, you know, ad tech, you figure this out and here we, here's where we are. Yeah.
4: And I, I think I was lucky that I worked at a pretty privacy forward publisher who did, you know, roll up their sleeves and get more involved. And it was an oddity. Like there wasn't, you know, trying to find people to pair up with or talk with, like it wasn't a lot of people didn't want to be vocal or come out on that. And that was a hard part of the space, but I still keep going back to the advertisers because I think the demand comes from there. Like this isn't necessarily going as much into privacy, but like when the sales team comes with this really weird pitch and you're like, Hey, I don't know from a PR or privacy, like, well, if we don't do it, then it's other publishers are going to get it because it's the brand or the agency that's making the demand for it. So I really think that getting education and accountability up at the brand is important, but making sure that the brands aren't trying to regulate what ad tech does in detail. Cause they don't understand
3: it enough yet to do that. Or right? I used to call that fads. So I worked at an agency and I used to call it like fads. They come to me with the latest fad and be like, Hey, can we do this? And I'd be like, what are you, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, no. Right. Um, and and I they did- can't have it both
2: ways. Right. No, that like we, Sarah, to your point, they're, they're driving the spend, you know, they, they ultimately control those dollars and, and no, they want to do these fads and build ID solutions and do all this cool stuff. But then their legal and compliance teams come to all of us and try to negotiate in restrictions on our ability to actually run our technology to facilitate what their commercial and strategic teams are telling us to do. So You know, the the number of times people have come to me and said, you can only use my data as an advertiser for me and only me. And it's like, well, that doesn't work for attribution, conversion and counting. Like that that literally makes no sense for what your commercial team is trying to build.
0: At least today, Julia, you can have that conversation in the open. Like, do you remember, I'm sure you all do remember five, six years ago, you had to like talk around that conversation. Like I remember uh, at DataZoo, we did a deal with Twitter and the lawyer on the other side used, used to be at turn. So it was the first time in my life I could actually say to him, no, like I have to use the data like a certain way. And he was like, I understand. Like <laughs> that was the first <laughs> time I'd ever had that. And now at least we can have that conversation. Now we can say like, yeah. here's what I'm gonna do. Here's what I, what I need.
2: I mean, theoretically, but I think the challenge I see is I, I think, and this goes to some conversations we've had before, people get really burned out in the legal and compliance world in ad tech because you have these conversations over and over with people who unfortunately don't, fair to your point, it's not their fault, but they don't have time to understand this. They don't have time to loan it or they're just being told by the powers that be or they've got the leverage to just say, I don't care. Even if that's what you do and that's what you need to do, I need to paper it a certain way for my compliance team or for my GC or for the parent company that controls me. So it's a it's a risk that you just have to take. And, and that and, gets really exhausting and really tiring yeah. and very um, demotivating and disheartening after a
1: while. Yeah, and bringing it back to the rules, the rules that don't necessarily contemplate the complexity of how not just ad tech works, but just how, how the damn internet works, um, create these sort of binary pathways where it's like, not to pick on a specific rule, but are you a business or are you a service provider? Well, that's not easy to understand, champ, because the internet is hard, okay? Like, like that's just, you know, like, and so the expectations of some of the rules are just like not to me in line with like the reality of how all these interesting networks, ad tech aside, that the humans have created over the last 30 years of work. Let me ask you guys a question. Because we've been talking a lot about the power of personalization, the complexity of negotiating between companies and negotiating with the public in the sense of getting messaging out and and uh, communicating the benefits, et cetera, I hear this point often and it makes me want to gouge my eyes out, which is, well, the Internet wasn't always personalized and things were just fine. Or we could always go back to a less personalized you know, reality. I hear this more than you guys would think. And I speak to a lot of like stakeholders every week, both industry folks, regulatory folks, political folks, whatever. What would, let's just assume an apocalypse of like, hey, personal edition is de facto off. What does the internet look and feel like to you in that world?
3: Hey Pedro, it goes exactly back to your point. You're not gonna get that ad for that shirt that you didn't even know you wanted. Right. It's going to harm everybody across the board. It's going to harm mostly the smaller advertisers who can't who are going to waste dollars who can't reach their audience anymore. They're not going to be able to do, let's say, a small boutique hotel for in Paris. Right. They could find those audiences that are interested in going on a trip to Paris on any website. They don't need to go to a high end publisher for travel but now they won't be able to do that in that scenario. And then the smaller publishers won't be able to compete with the bigger um, bigger sites, right? And then on top of it, everybody's dollars, they're gonna have to spend more money because A, they're wasting, and they're gonna end up buying that contextual ad that everybody else is competing for. So and I just see disaster across the board.
1: And then prices will go up. I think that's what Andy's saying and totally agree. And Andy-
3: also, less
4: populations will be served. Right. Exactly.
1: right. exactly. Well, and, and
4: there, and there That's will be less.
2: Com- right there will there. be less competition on yeah. both sides of the ecosystem.
1: We, and both we will leave both the of same people right. that always get left behind will get left behind, and that is what annoyed, Not only to to Ferris's point on the delivery side, like people will just be served less. On the advertiser side, to Tanoga's point, like the, the, the people most harmed will be the small players, those mom and pops, the the uh you know the up and comers. Um, And wait for it. Everyone's going to see a lot more junk like and there's going to have to be more of it. Right. And so, like, I do remember the Internet in 1997. Do you guys remember net zero Internet's free Internet access with banners everywhere and pop ups everywhere and and impossible to navigate um, Internet experiences like you can't have it both ways. You can't have a beautiful, curated, easy, simple 2d experience on the internet definitely not in a metaverse scenario um and then it'd be free but also depersonalized and have ads be dumb. like i what's well, that technically like
2: and that's the thing is I, I patriot to your point what are they saying are they telling everyone to just put all the technology and all the technological innovation we've seen over the last 20 years on pause exactly. and take the internet back 20 years like it doesn't work that way and that? and so you can't you can't have kind of no personalization from an ads perspective unless you make it technically impossible but to do that you'd probably have to take at least 75% of the technological innovation we've generally seen online back so you can't divorce those two conversations which is just not people don't understand that
1: yep (laughs) I mean yes and, and like I, I think this like silver bullet contextual advertising debate is all, somebody made the point earlier. It's ridiculous because it's just more competition for less surface, right? Um, and then you, you have a new pile of problems. You have brand safety. You have, I mean, there's just a million new problems with contextual that we have to address. It's not, there's, I don't know. This is a, I love this discussion. And I know we don't have the answers, but I think like the philosophical debate needs to happen more often. Um, and it needs to happen out in the open. And we have this little platform. So like, I'm glad we're talking about it because. Again, like as I was writing my LinkedIn post of like my one-year recap at Meta, I was just thinking about like the overwhelming empowerment that personalization has on the communities I care about the most. I'm here to fight for it.
2: So, so why don't we, you know, to your point, why aren't we talking about, frankly, the, the minimal harms and the and the minimal challenges that we're actually trying to solve for, right? Data misuse, um, and try to figure out either technical or true policy solutions to those challenges versus to your point, Pedro, everyone just 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 broadly saying yes. online advertising and personalization is bad.
0: I do yeah, think it like needs to be driven, I do think it needs to be driven by. Develop, developing technology. And I think we're not gonna see a sea change until we see a real technological breakthrough that causes the personalization to come to the forefront so radically. Maybe it's the metaverse, maybe it's crypto, maybe it's something else, maybe it's some like something else, but there does need to be like a technological advance that takes us to that next point. Because I think like, otherwise we're just, we're still gonna be like um, sort of like adjusting the dial. Uh, all the time on on yeah but
1: but but the point julia makes is the right one and and i know what you meant you didn't mean like the harms have low consequences the harms have high consequences but there's few of them like like there's not that the benefit volume far outweighs the harm volume in the sense of amounts now the harms can be severe i mean we know that there's like i mean misinformation is i mean we know the harms can be severe resulting in like people's Safety being damaged, or yeah, stalking online, are
2: like yeah, n- the, knowing right. people's geolocation, like right. like, like the is,
1: harms are real. The harms yeah. are real. But like focusing on protecting people against those versus your point, sledgehammering, taking a uh, you know a, a wrecking ball to everything that's built that has like enriched so many lives.
2: <laughs>
1: we got to figure out how to defend against that. And unfortunately, like that type of thinking sort of seizes the day in the public discourse, and it right. really frustrates me.
2: I, I, would, I would argue like, and Angie to your point, like I would argue we're trying to solve these issues in silos, there's, there's policy silos, there's legal silos and there's technical silos and we have to figure out a way to bring those together. Andy, you and I have had this debate. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
0: I mean, I think you said it right. Like I, I, there's no immediate solve. Like I, I'm, I'm less less in it than you all are at the moment but it still touches what I do. I mean, like if you, if you think about personalization in, in the B2B context, it's not going anywhere. Like it's only getting more, more relevant. So, you know, I, my, my personal feeling is that we don't, we don't get to solution at all in, in kind of any one like singular path. It's gonna be the amplification of a new technology, a federal privacy rule, whenever if that c- could possibly happen you know the combination of things and and probably driven by technology but um it's a great discussion what a good discussion i feel like the, i am the dumbest
1: person in the room and that's my favorite that's my favorite. well you guys, are so, you guys are so smart and i'm so grateful for you all to hang out with us for a few minutes and talk about these like Super abstract but sort of meaningful philosophical. Before we
0: go, hey, before we go, uh, I wanted to, One thing that's left on our sheet, we touched on only a little bit of it, but, but the one thing that I wanted to, to ask everybody is you know, like we talked a lot about the challenges and a lot about how the future looks, you know, opaque in a lot of ways. Like we all love aspects of this. So I'm, I'm interested to know, like, what do you love about? this industry, what's exciting and what's interesting, sort of, let's end on a high note because obviously we're still here. So we all we all love things about it. So maybe Farah, you go first, because you just kind of, you just entered directly.
4: I just keep digging deeper. Um, no, I mean, I think it's for the people who get it, it's incredibly smart passionate people and getting to work with that is really, really exciting. And it is a time of a lot of opportunity right now. Like the the future is being written and it's gonna be ugly for a little bit, but there's
3: hope that maybe we carve something out. I
0: love that. Noga?
3: Yeah, I'm gonna play off of that a little bit too from, and I'm gonna speak more to like the legal perspective and the policy perspective that because ad tech has been under so much scrutiny, we're at the forefront of setting data governance principles that we're making it up as we go. And to be in that place is just so amazing. Julia. I'll cap it off
2: and I'm going to bring those two worlds together and say, I think this is one of, if not the coolest jobs a lawyer can have in the tech space because we get to sit in the middle of legal compliance, strategy, product, and public policy and help define what that's gonna look like. And, and we're there and we're of those critical people at the table that brings all of those pieces of our companies together and can really be the voice of reason across all those different worlds.
1: Well, what about so- you, Andy? What do you, what, what's your vibe?
0: Um, I think I'm really enthused and interested by privacy tech. And, and the power that privacy technology can bring to this, like the, you see money flooding into this, you know, not by chance. Like there's a lot of, and so Julia's point resonates with me about our ability as lawyers and privacy people to sit in the middle, like not just like I'm over here doing legal things, I'm over here doing policy things or privacy things, like we're in the middle of all of it. And, uh, and to me, that's, what's so exciting is like, you can be a GC or a CPO anywhere uh, you can, and have a, a somewhat limited scope. I think in our world, you got, you got to get after everything, every bit of every bit of the business.
1: I love right now, the fact that I'm on my own podcast with my partner, Andy, and we're surrounded by three brilliant, powerful, interesting, charismatic, engaging Genius level women who are in charge of the future of this industry. And let's take it out of the hands of the old guard because I trust you guys more. It's that simple.
3: Love it.
0: All Thanks right. for yeah. hanging out with us. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.